Hello, everyone, and thank you again for joining us on the PCICS podcast, the go-to podcast for pediatric cardiac critical care. This is another edition of News Talk, where we talk about timely and newsworthy events in PCICS or in pediatric cardiac critical care. My name is David Werho, and I'm a pediatric cardiac intensivist at Rady Children's Hospital, UC San Diego. And I am joined by one of my News Talk co-hosts, Jill Zender. Hi, I'm Jill Zender. I'm a nurse practitioner in the cardiac ICU at Children's Health in Dallas. And we have a guest co-host on News Talk this time, Lillian Sue, who's a co-chair of the Education Committee. Hi, everyone. I'm Lillian Sue. I'm a pediatric cardiac intensivist here at Stanford. Thanks, David and Jill, for inviting me to co-host. And our special guests this edition are Jason Buckley and Kristen Diller, who were the program chairs for the most recent PCICS virtual meeting, which happened just this past month. Hi, Jason and Kristen. Do you want to introduce yourselves? Sure. Thanks, uh, David, for having us. I'm Kristen Diller. I'm a pediatric cardiac intensive care nurse practitioner at um, Cincinnati Children's. I've been here for about eight years. And I'm Jason Buckley. I'm a pediatric cardiac intensivist at the Medical University of South Carolina in Charleston. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you both so much for joining us. So on this edition of News Talk, we want to talk about the PCICS meeting. Um, Obviously, this was not our first virtual meeting because everything really changed last year. And I think we're all very sensitive to the context of that. But obviously, um, the duration of the pandemic and the direction of things um, was a little bit uh, of an unknown and up in the air. So as we get started, do you all want to talk to us a little bit about kind of what went into planning this meeting or even knowing if this meeting was going to happen? Sure. We actually, we didn't know this meeting was going to happen until um, maybe six to eight months beforehand um, when uh, the World Congress decided to cancel their off-year meeting. Um And generally, the PCICS has a critical care tract at World Congress. And so there was a lot of discussion um, about because we usually have an off-year meeting for PCICS and that this was an opportunity to kind of merge some content. And um, so we gathered a team, um, Jason and I, and um, some of the um, members of the World Congress Committee, the two chairs, Lindsay Justice and Chris uh, Master Pietro, who were super helpful. Um, and we kind of used the World Congress content to make it fit into more of a PCICS structure. Yeah, it really uh, wouldn't have been possible without being able to use that content on such a short timeline. So we can't thank the World Congress Planning Committee enough for giving us permission to use that content. And um, yeah, like Kristen said, this small group that that was formed kind of ad hoc was was crucial to kind of adapting and finalizing the content in a timely fashion so that we could get invitations out, uh, get approved for CME, CNE, uh, get familiar with the new learning management system and, um, you know, amalgamate all the content into the the streaming meeting that that you all saw. All right. And I just want to point out to our listeners that um, you have one week from when this podcast is released to still stream the conference, any of the sessions that sessions that you want and uh, get CME credit. So if um, if you have time and you're interested, you can still register for the conference, stream everything that happened at the conference. And if you submit your CME by October 22nd, you will still get credit. 
Um, having said that, why don't we talk a little bit about um, the actual content of the conference? Obviously, a lot of this was stuff that was adapted from World Congress. Talk to us about uh, all the different sessions that you put together. Yeah, one of the you know, members of the small group committee that was crucial to kind of the vision of this meeting was Therese Gillia from Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, um, who um, you know, was obviously a, a founding member and, and present for um, many of the early meetings of the society. And her idea was to really celebrate uh, this 25th anniversary of the society and highlight uh, some of the first talks that were given at the initial meeting. Um, so through um, some networking, she was able to acquire some of the first meeting agenda material and reach out to those speakers and, and see if they were interested in, in giving kind of a then and, and now talk, which then morphed into uh, what you saw on the first day, which was an evolution of our field um, and what's what's changed really over the 25 years since since the society began, um, that was you know really how the the initial kind of theme and vision came together for the meeting. I really loved Teresa's extra attention to detail that she put into the talk, where she actually included the actual pictures of the actual pamphlets, screenshots of emails, all of those old pictures and. It was just amazing to see how it actually evolved through all of those years and to see that she had saved all of those, um, that nice collection of material that really documented how far the society had come. And so I didn't know if that was actually her idea or if you guys had actually asked her to do that, but I loved those extra details that she put in so that you could really imagine yourself there all those years ago, being part of this tiny little group that became what it is today. When we were thinking about planning and how to celebrate like the 25th um, anniversary, we actually sent out an email to some of the founding members and asked like, does anyone have pictures or content? Um, and people really came out of the woodwork with things that they had been keeping in their basement um, and scanned them in. So that was actually one of the funnest parts of planning this meeting to me was getting to talk to some of the founding members and getting to just like see the history kind of unfold. Um, and I think we're going to try to, you know, archive those in a way that uh, people can access them. Totally. I uh, definitely went to some of my colleagues and said, look, look what the email chain I'm on right now is really incredible to be a part of kind of the background planning of all that. Um, and then I emailed Teresa and one of the perks, I guess, of putting the meeting together was you get to see some of the recorded talks before they actually stream. And I remember emailing her and saying, I got chills multiple times during, during your talk when she added music and, and all of the pictures were, um, were really just an awesome touch and a great way to start the meeting. Yeah, I think um, just revisiting the history of PCICS, you know, as someone who's only been a member of the society for about five, six, seven years, I don't even know exactly how many years, but definitely not 25 years. So trying to put myself back into that context of like, what was life like back in 1995, when this meeting was being, this very first meeting and the society was being put together, it really... Um, it was so interesting to see all the photos and like Therese talking about going to Kinko's and um, printing out programs and paying out of pocket because there was no um, 
no budget or anything like that. I thought all of that was really interesting, but it also really makes you proud to see how far the society has come. And um, I wonder if uh, you want to talk a little bit about the evolution of our field and the things that uh, that Anthony and many others talked about uh, during that session, because I really feel like pediatric cardiac critical care being such a young field in medicine um, has still grown so immensely since that time. Yeah, I think um, really we had asked the speakers during that session to kind of give us a real sense of growth over time. Um, And I think they were really able to do that. And to me, it felt like so encouraging to see the progress that we've come in really like 25 years is it's a long time, but it's also not a very long time. And um, to hear some of the things that were going on um, at that time and to see the kind of patients that we're taking care of now and the kind of issues that we're dealing with, um, I think really gives perspective um, in a world where we're taking care of a lot of patients who um, are really, really complex and really, really sick. And I think um, for me, that sometimes bogs me down, but seeing this is what the problems were that they were dealing with, you know, 15, 20 years ago. And to see where we've come gives me courage that when I look back at the end of my career, like I'm going to see that same kind of progress. Um, And that's something that I find difficult in my everyday job that I felt like that session really gave me like hope and encouragement that like everything that we're doing is actually like so important and so purposeful. And that hopefully in 50 years, people will look back at what we do and say like, oh, they were like trailblazing and making progress. Yeah. I think that it's, um, I, came away with that with a feeling of um, encouragement as well, just to see over time what has been accomplished by a group of a few that had an idea and had a vision and has grown into what it is today, a society that makes a huge difference in this patient population and is now a society of um, a thousand plus members, but still even the people that contribute um, that are even not members. I mean, the impact of the society is huge and to see how that started, I thought was really encouraging. I was just going to point out two data points that I was rewatching Dave Wessel's talk. And just like Kristen was saying, I do think people, when we have such complexity in our patients now, and we have a subset of patients, like for instance, infant bivads that aren't doing so well, and there's still a high mortality rate, it is important to remember how far we've come. And so in his talk, he talked about in 1966, the ventilator mortality was greater than 50% and TJ mortality was 90%. And 30 years later in 1996, ventilator mortality was less than 5% and TJ mortality was 3%. So it's just amazing to think how far the field could go even in that time span. And when we look at the data now, we're going to have equivalent sorts of statistics to inspire people. And I think the other important thing is to remember that the group did start out really small. So if there are collections of people that are forming academic niches around a certain topic today, 25 years from now, they could then become a society. So for to encourage all of our members, young and old, to continue to foster that sort of feeling of innovation and that we can make a difference and the field still has a lot further to go. Yeah, I I can't agree with you more, Lillian. I think that that first day, um, 
you know, what, what really resonated for me is everybody, when they, I think when they go to PCICS meetings, probably takes out the agenda and highlights or circles certain talks or certain sessions that they don't want to miss. And it's different for everyone, I think, depending on kind of what you're interested in and, and, um, and what, what really speaks to you. But uh, for me, a lot of those sessions in prior PCICS, PCICS meetings have been the thought leaders in the field that I didn't want to miss, you know, what they had to say about what they think about the current state of the field and the current challenges that we face. And to have so many of them start the meeting off from pediatric cardiac intensive care, cardiology, nursing, APP, anesthesiology, cardiac surgery, you know, give their thought on where we were, where we're at, and where we think we may be going. Um, it was uh, it was really captivating. I think my favorite session of the entire meeting was actually the happy hour after the first day. Uh, I think uh, Dr. Kekia and and Dr. Becca just did such a fantastic job as as charismatic moderators of that session, and to hear people kind of loosen up and and talk about um, challenges, you know, back 25 years ago, like when Dr. Rossi said, you know, what was difficult back then to dovetail off what you were saying, saying Lillian was the full-term baby that was getting a switch um, that you know our program had only done 10 switches and now everybody is 2.2 kgs with chromosomal abnormalities and multiple comorbidities you know I think everybody in that panel smirked and smiled because you know they realized how how complex the field has gotten um, and it's uh, I don't know what the right word is but it um, it makes you feel better I think about the challenges that you're facing locally when everyone else is, is acknowledging those challenges. It's definitely humbling to, <laughs> to be doing what we do now and think about how different everything was and how novel um, the things that these people were doing back then was. And also I think I do feel like I'm a little bit spoiled when I complain about how hard I'm working um, after I hear all these battle stories from the way that things were um, when this field was just starting. And I think all those pioneers on our field, and I think for all of our listeners, if you listen to um, the episodes with the pioneering women and then the upcoming episode with Anthony Chang and Jeff Jacobs, just to, to hear about the stories of how hard people have been working in this field for so long really does make you reevaluate like, okay, I am working a lot, but it was so much more difficult back then. Like, and I think just to also acknowledge that in a lot of our, our, our low middle income country members, um, they, they are dealing with similar conditions to where, um, they just don't have the monitoring, the resources, the person power that we do. And so I do think um, just hearing all of those things does give you an, a, a sense of appreciation um, to not take for granted, even though we are working very hard and our job is extremely difficult. Um, there are so many people who made it possible for us to do what we do now. And there's so many people around the world struggling um, to advance the field in their own countries. And so I think it, it that's the other thing that I got from not just, not just that session, but the whole 25th anniversary of PCICS is that um, it gives me a lot of uh, grounding in, in what I do and uh, makes me feel a little more appreciative of everything. I think that really highlights Dr. Ayer's talk about the work she's done in India 
and how far she was able to increase their survival by not so much technology, but really innovation, just using the things that she had. And when I think of her talk, I really think about how people can do so much with so little. And her talk really highlighted how well her unit has really embraced so many different QI things just to improve the mortality so much. And I would recommend that talk to anyone who wants to feel inspired and feels like their unit doesn't have all the resources of a Stanford or a Boston, because I think when you look at someone like her and what she's been able to accomplish there, it just tells you how much just will and grit and investment in your unit can do. I agree. And, um, you know, that I really felt like her talk fit in well with a lot of the challenges that other speakers were acknowledging about the, you know, state of Western pediatric cardiac intensive care as we're struggling with things like staffing crises and nursing attrition. And then for Dr. Ayer to talk about how, you know, we've addressed these, these manpower mm-hmm. issues with fast tracking training models. Um, you know, it may be a talk that we need to go back to and, and leverage and learn if these current crises that we're facing continue and worsen. I think that brings up a point, um, and David, when you were talking about how hard things used to be, um, while things have improved, I think in that, in that realm, I think we're in a different kind of hard now, you know, we're dealing with staffing crises and we're tired and we're tired at home, we're tired at work and we're tired of a pandemic. It feels like it's never going to end. Um, one thing I took away from this meeting, although virtual, was uh, the sense of connection that I, I felt like we were able to bring it a little bit last year in the virtual meeting. Um, but I felt like this meeting really, I at least felt very connected. I felt, especially the first day, um, although we couldn't be in person, I kind of felt like I was with my friends again. So I thought you guys did a great job of um, bringing that personal and that networking and connecting aspect that we all miss so much. I'm sure that was challenging to accomplish, but I thought you did well. Thanks. I think like networking virtually is difficult, Um, but I was actually um, really impressed like when we had the networking morning sessions for the SIGs groups to come together like there's actually like lots of involvement and um, communication and participation in those sessions and so I think people took advantage of the opportunities available um, and really like we didn't do that part of the connection like you guys did that were involved so um, I think people did an excellent job this round of like being engaged and we really appreciated everyone. Before we move on to the rest of the meeting I do want to take a moment just to acknowledge our meeting supporters. we had so many different uh, organizations come together to help make this meeting possible. So I did want to just acknowledge Berlin Heart, Children's Hospital of Philadelphia Cardiac Center, Children's National Medical Center, Cincinnati Children's Hospital, and Trap Hagen CPAs and Wealth Advisors. And we really are grateful for all of the support to help make this meeting possible. And I also did want to acknowledge all of the exhibitors at the meeting. Um, You can still go see their exhibit booths on the the meeting website. And there there were 10 exhibitors as well. So we do want to acknowledge and thank all of our sponsors. So, hey, Kristen and Jason, 
I, again, just wanted to congratulate you guys on such an amazing program. And I know that you had to adapt it from the original World Congress track. One of the sessions I really, really enjoyed was the loon shots. And I was just wondering how you got such amazing speakers to talk about these things that I hadn't heard of, um, such as the umbilical cord blood and that woman from the Netherlands. And um, how did you go about finding these speakers, selecting them, and um, knowing about what all the sorts of work was going on all around the world? I think we actually had the advantage in this session like this session was actually one of my favorite ones but it was the one I was the most nervous about because we didn't personally know the people speaking um I think most of the suggestions came directly from the original world congress suggested speakers um and we had to go actually to pretty great lengths to get all of their contact information but I'm so glad we did because I think they were like an excellent addition and um, this was one of the most encouraging sessions to me to like think about how and see like how we're making progress and people are doing like really amazing work. Um, so we were kind of gifted some of those names um, from the World Congress list. And I believe um, Darren Klugman had a lot to do with those initial efforts. Um, so we got a really a, a great gift with that session. Yeah, we can't take um, much of the credit for that one. There was a little bit of Googling going on to track down email addresses and, and find people uh, so that we could contact them and invite them, but it turned out really excellent. That was one of the sessions I probably got more text messages during uh, saying things like, this is incredible, are you watching this, um, than, uh, than any, uh, any of the other sessions. So uh, Kristen and I definitely filed it away in the back of our brains about whether or not there needs to be a moonshots or a loon shots too, or uh, you know, continuing that emphasis on um, researchers who are really pushing the envelope about innovation and and where uh, there can be some disruptive uh, breakthroughs in our field. Um, I think it's something that, that that people remember from the meeting. Yeah, one of the things I really thought the session highlighted was there were clearly those loon shots, like that woman who talked about her technology using stem cells or some sort of cells to be able to create essentially like a cardiac sleeve that then would be a pump augmenting the pumping function of the heart. And then you had someone like Gil Winoski talking about the Fontan pathway and single ventricle pathway and blowing that up. So I thought it was just such a nice combination of truly what you would think of as bench science innovation. And then the idea that we would just rethink something that we've so commonly accepted in our field, such as the single ventricle pathway as it is now. Um, so I really wanted to commend you guys for having this just really nice balance of things that I feel like we could be doing even today, such as the umbilical cord blood and what Gil was talking about. And then really knowing what all of these amazing researchers are doing out in the world that many of us are not a part of, um, mostly being clinical people. Yeah, it really is like science fiction for cardiac intensivists, right? <laughs> like, again, when, when this field started, who would have thought and like any of this would be possible? Uh, yeah, we hear a lot about things like stem cells on, you know, in NBC Nightly News, but we don't actually really know or share as much in our field about researchers who are actually injecting them into the myocardium of single ventricle babies. 
Um, so to hear, hear folks that are doing that is just inspiring and fascinating. Uh, I think it was Dr. Kashal and his team who were doing that. And I really liked his quote from Henry Ford that said, if I asked people what they wanted, they would have said faster horses. Yeah, you know, innovation really sometimes needs to uh, be disruptive. I was just going to make one more comment about Gil's talk for anyone who hasn't seen it. I think it was just such a perfect display of PowerPoint skills and how you should deliver a talk at a meeting. I thought that his ability to match graphics with content that he was speaking was so perfect that I feel like he should give a talk to PCICS members on how to actually give a talk and prepare slides like that. And when you look at the graphics, like when you looked at the graphics of the hundred persons who start out as single ventricles and then he they change colors, green they do well and black they die. I, I just thought the graphic of that makes you think about how far we still have to go with that physiology. And um, I am just such an admirer of the way he puts together his talk. And I think giving a PowerPoint talk is a really hard thing to do. And I think he's just one of those people that can do it so well. It makes me wonder how long it takes him to put, put one together because that would take me a long time, I think, to do it the way that he does. But I think you're onto something. Maybe we could do some sort of virtual webinar, a talk on how to give a talk or, or how he prepares. Um, that would be neat. So I know we talked a lot about the loon shots and the feedback that you've gotten from that session. Um, I, I want to hear if Jason and Chris, I think a lot of the feedback that we've gotten um, that's been positive sessions. was also about the um, pro con session, um, the dogma session. I think we were a little bit nervous about how that would go in the virtual format because you lose the personable back and forth. But we, the topics that were discussed, I think were timely. Um, and we've gotten a lot of good feedback from um, people who really were able to take away some usable things from that session. Yeah, I will say I, as a, one of the debaters, I did not know how to debate without hearing the other person's <laughs> argument. It's a special kind of challenge. Actually, yeah, it was fun though. It was nice to be able to kind of guess um, what is the other person going to say and you know, it is always more fun to have the back and forth banter, but I do think that all of the the people discussing dogma really respected one another and did a great job of um, arguing their point um, while still acknowledging the merits of the counter argument. And we had talked about honestly eliminating it because we were just unsure of how it would go. And I'm so glad that we didn't. I think it brought value. Yeah, I think you did a great job, David, battling not an easy gladiator. And John Costello, uh, who I know from personal experience, <laughs> um, can be tough to debate. But um, a quick shout out to, to Nikhil Shinani from Atlanta, who who posted a lot of the live polls during the, the pro-con debate, which I think helped with some of the connection and engagement that you try to foster in a virtual meeting. Um, it was part of the software platform that we're still learning, I think, as we learn and get more savvy with these uh, learning management systems will hopefully be able to use some more of those tools to, to um, you know, foster that that feeling of connection that we miss with uh, in-person meetings. Uh, so what were some of your favorite moments um, or takeaways from the meeting? All right, well, I'm going to go back to the um, panel happy hour on the first day 
And I don't know Dr. Rossi well, but everything he says seems to really hit home with me. Maybe it's the Long Island accent that I long for that I grew up with. Uh, but when he said, um, when he was talking about resilience and the stresses on our on our teams currently, and he said something to the effect of, you know, who has many codes? Uh, who gives epi spritzes to a kid who might die? And it's just a mini stress, and we just call it a mini code. Um, you know, it's something that I was like, you know, this is something we talk about as colleagues all the time. We're like, you're not going to believe what you know what just happened. That sometimes it's difficult to talk about and share some of those minor stresses outside of our field and outside of our colleagues. And he, the way he worded it was just perfect. And I shared it during uh, a staff meeting that we had. Uh, you know, I think like many like many centers, we're trying to improve staff and team resilience. Um, you know, actually during the the SIG networking talk, David, I heard. Um, Justin Ye mentioned that during the interdisciplinary uh, special interest group meeting, there was a conversation about um, you know a new format or a new conference that that Rady was doing to try to improve staff resilience. And, and we developed something over the last year as well called Resilience Rounds, where we're trying to improve communication about um, those patients that cause some of the most moral distress, you know, the ones with prolonged length of stay. The ones that we have medical and surgical conference discussions about all the time in our silos, but maybe some of those conversations don't always reach the frontline team members. So we, you know, have developed another monthly meeting with the frontline team members to really just kind of share what the current plan is for those patients, uh, hear from them from the front lines about, you know, what kind of stresses are you guys having, you know, with those patients? What kind of stresses are the families having that you're experiencing? And provide a forum to support each other. Uh, and I shared Dr. Rossi's comment about, you know, mini codes and epi spritzers and how we think this is normal. And that's not really normal what we do. Um, and those moments at meetings like this, you know, I think make me want to share what happens and what's said at these meetings with everyone. You know, when I looked at the attendance for this meeting, I was super happy that it was over 500 people from over 30 countries. But there's still work to do, I think, to share what happens at this meeting. You know, it was predominantly physician, I think it was 40% physicians, 15% APPs, 15% nurses, 10% allied health. And I'd like to, you know, in the coming years, really um, increase some of those numbers uh, and equalize them a bit to, to bring what's the content that, that we discuss to the frontline staff members. Yeah, I think that's a great point. I think um, resiliency is probably a podcast all on its own, but um, I think bringing that to the forefront and sharing what we talk about and learn about at these meetings will hopefully normalize talking about those things so we don't have these stressors build up for when a larger stressor um, comes along, we can deal with it more effectively and don't have a complete collapse of our system or staffing or crew. And I think it really highlights the benefit of being part of a society like this one, where you can literally telescope out so that whatever local context you're having in your own unit or whatever happened to you that day, if you're able to telescope out and think about it in the bigger picture and realize that the work we do in that unit is not normal, it's a stressor that I think 
people who don't work in the unit have a really difficult time truly understanding. And this is a kind of a shout out, shout out to our bedside nurses. When you think about all of the life-saving medications that are going through a tiny, tiny atrial line, that if it gets kinked or it comes back from the OR and a ball of spaghetti and they have to take everything apart and make everything nice and neat and label everything, it does remind us the intricate work that we do at the bedside. And I think it's very difficult for anybody who's not actually working in the unit to truly understand that. And that's the importance of a society like this for us to remember and be there for each other. And if you can't find somebody locally within your own unit that you can kind of lean on or depend on or get advice from, I think the benefits of being in a society like this one is to remind ourselves like, look, you had a really hard day and you're not even processing all of the micro traumas that happened to you that day. And so if you're leaving exhausted, it's not you, it's, it really is, it is the work. The work is hard. Yeah. That's a great point. I cannot agree with that more. Kristen, did you have any takeaways or favorite moments? I think, um, I think that uh, it's hard to pick a single thing in this meeting um, that is my favorite, but I always walk away from these meetings feeling just like refreshed and renewed. And this year, I, I usually feel like I have like this passion for one thing when I leave meetings. Um, but this year, I felt like a very different, like well-rounded feeling. I felt like, you know, the ethics talk really hit me from a resiliency and discussion and heaviness, like it's okay to feel those feelings. Um, and I felt encouraged by like the loon shots and where we're going and just like excited to be a part of what is coming. Um, so I felt like this meeting was different in the, it like hit all the right spots for me. Um, and that doesn't happen in every meeting. And I think, you know, that's not, it's some of it is the content, but some of it is just like, the speakers just really like were invested and really like showed us like special parts of what they're doing. And I really appreciated that. So what are you going to take from this meeting? Um, as I know you're very busy at work preparing for the next one. So uh, we are definitely hoping for a return to an in-person meeting in 2022 in Miami. Um, that being said, um, we've learned a lot of valuable lessons um, with, creating virtual meetings. Uh, we've learned that we can increase our access and our global reach. And, you know, we're currently exploring and hoping to be able to provide a hybrid format, even if we do return in person, so that we can continue to provide virtual content for attendees who can't, you know, travel for an in-person meeting. Well, Jason and Kristen, we want to congratulate you again on planning such an amazing meeting. And as a reminder, it's still available for another week. Um, until October 22nd, I think. Do you, you guys have teasers for the program for next year that we can kind of look forward to and think about? I think we hope the biggest exciting thing is that we'll hopefully be in person. <laughs> um, we're still working on finalizing um, all of the content, um, but I think we've learned a lot of things from this meeting and are, have some things to talk about as far as additions to be made for 2022. Yeah, I mean, I think if I had my way, uh, Pitbull would be the opening, you know, act in plenary, and plenary, Mr. 305, <laughs> Mr. Worldwide, bringing us back to Miami, maybe Will Smith's uh, Miami, 
montage scene uh, afterward. Uh, but those those connections are still in the works. I'm still Googling and, and trying to find email addresses and things like that. Uh, no, the content that's that's kind of preliminary being planned by the 2022 committee, uh, 2022 committee, excuse me, is really exciting and outstanding. I think um, there's new content that that's going to complement, you know, some of the uh, topics that were really emphasized and focused on uh, during this past meeting. Um, you know, a, a lot of our thought leaders at, on that first day emphasized how important the family, uh, you know, our family of providers in the cardiac intensive care unit is and how important it is for retention and experience. And I think those themes are going to fuel the content that we deliver. Um, we really want to bring the excitement that we all feel for our field to every one of our team members. You know, I think Melissa Jones, you know, said it really well when we were discussing or when it was being discussed during the, the happy hour session of what, what can we do to improve retention and, and battle this attrition of frontline staff members. And she mentioned, you know, we have to elevate the expertise of all of our team members. You know, we have to use uh, the dietitian and the pharmacist and the therapist to unburden some of the tasks being performed by uh, the bedside nurse. And to do that, I think we need to create excitement for all of those team members and make them want to be a part of the society and make them want to attend, attend this meeting. So uh, that, that's going to fuel some of the content that I think and hope that we deliver in 2022. Darren Klugman often refers to um, the CICU as the ultimate team sport. And I think that's a perfect analogy. And truthfully, there's not a single team member that we could effectively do this job without. So I think it would be great to celebrate all the roles that it takes to get this crazy job of ours done. Well, I cannot wait for this celebration. And I'm sure there will be a lot of pent up pandemic energy. Um, <laughs> to release in Miami and a lot of great networking, fun, learning, and interdisciplinary, multidisciplinary collaboration. So thank you again, Jason and Kristen, for joining us on News Talk and talking to us about the meeting this year. Thank you, guys. Enjoyed it. Thank you, guys. To our listeners, thank you for listening to the PCICS podcast. Please don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And please subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Please visit our website, PCICS.org, where you can find more information about how to become a member and enjoy updating info on educational resources, job listings, or watch the meeting that we just talked about. This episode was brought to you by all your sponsors for the PCICS meeting. The hosts were myself, David Warho, Jill Zender, and Lillian Sue, and our guests were Jason Buckley and Kristen Diller. This podcast was edited by David Warho and produced by David Warho. The executive producers of the PCICS podcast include myself, Sadie Rodriguez, and Deanna Zanatos. The song I Don't Know by Grapes was used under a Creative Commons 3.0 attribution license.